Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 337th episode of MTG Fast Finance Remastered, the podcast that recycles picks just as quickly as Watsy reprints them. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co host is Derek the Dark Mage at Oko Assassin on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hey everyone, it's Oko here. Great to be co-hosting the show for the first time. This show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Derek, let's show them how we do. What is on the agenda this week? All right, James, section one, we are going to talk about the uh, recent results on Magic Online weekend metagame review. Section two, we're going to talk about the top paper movers and the top movers on Magic Online. Section three, we're going to talk about our cards to watch. Uh, And finally, we're going to discuss our weekly topics, including uh, the recent leaks about Dominaria Remastered, which is a bit of a surprise. Also, the announcement by WotC about textured foils in every pack, uh, which again was a big surprise. And finally, just a little bit about the new secret layer packaging, which is a big change from the past. Alrighty, so we can dive right in here on our MTGO metagame week in review. Pretty cool combo deck at the top of this modern challenge from last Saturday, August 14th. Calibrated Blast combo. This is the one that basically just sets up to get something huge into play. Emrakul, uh, Eons Torn, four copies, four copies of Scion uh, of Draco, four copies of Shadow of Mortality, and four copies of Autothon Worm. Um... I don't know if you've been playing much Modern Online lately, but I would imagine this is still relatively niche in terms of its uh, total percentage of meta, yeah? It, it is, and it's it's a frustrating deck to play against, because you said put it into play, but I believe it uh, it just puts uh, does the damage to you directly to a single target. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not about getting them into play like Glimpse. It's, right. it's uh, using the casting cost to deal damage to the opponent. Right, and so if you're taking, you know, a little bit of damage here from fetch lands, a little bit of damage from pain lands, and shock lands, you know, this hits you once and, and you can die from it immediately, and uh, of course, you hit it a second time and you're almost guaranteed to lose, so it, it's a fun deck, you know, I'm sure the pilot had a, had a good time uh, winning it and frustrating a bunch of players playing a little bit more complicated brews, but it's uh, it's good times. We'll talk a little bit more about a couple of the potential specs from there a little bit down the road in the cast. Second place, we had four-color Omnath. They also finished fourth and sixth, so three Omnath decks in the top eight here. Blue-white Control in third, running three Chalice in the main. Blue-red Merktide with four Merktide, four Ledger Shredder in fifth. Hammer Time without the blue cards. Usually that is Reality Chip, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, And this is mono-white, this version. And then Living End showing up in yet another top eight in the eighth slot. Modern-looking, pretty much par for the course at present. On over to the 
Pioneer Challenge on August 15th. That's this past Sunday. We've got a bunch of the usual suspects here as well. Black Red Midrange in 1st and 6th. Four copies of Fable of the Mirror Breaker in both of those. Black Red Sacrifice in 2nd, running two Obnixilis and two uh, Fable of the Mirror Breaker. The Red White Heroic uh, deck in 3rd. A Mono Green deck uh, running four Storm the Festival and four Cavalier of Thorns that can put a Nicol Bolas Dragon God into play is a little bit of spice. Yeah, the Obnixilis is doing a little bit better than initially. You know, initially, people thought it was very hyped. The hype died down. Uh, but now you're seeing it being scattered throughout Pioneer. The the deck that was uh, second place actually has one on the sideboard as well. So there's three copies there. Um, there's, you know, scattered throughout the top 32. Uh, other decks have three or so copies as well. Um, so that's one I'm keeping an eye on right now. Yeah, I looked at how many copies are floating out there on TCG Player, and it, it's uh, it's pretty abundant. But I think down the road, that's that's one to keep an eye on if it keeps doing well. In fifth place, we've got Bant Spirits running uh, for Collected Company, and then a Mono Red build in seventh, and Blue Red Arclight Phoenix with four Ledger Shredder in eighth. So we've got Ledger Shredder in both top eights. No huge surprise, given how dominant the card has been lately. So if you were going to play one of these uh, bird builds, which would you go for? Would you go for Collected Company, or would you do the Mono Blue? Have any preference? I think if I'm playing Pioneer right now, I'm probably leaning towards Black Red Midrange or Black Red Sacrifice. That seems up my alley. Um, something about Blue Red, I never, I've never been interested in playing it in any format. Yeah, I've, I've played quite a bit of the um, Mono Green Shell in all the different forms that it's had over the last year. I think that's my go-to deck. It's pretty easy in that it's consistent. You can pick it up after a month or so and still do well. Um, but it, it's got a lot of lines, especially with Karn now. You know, you can combo off, you can play the value game. There's a lot of different angles. I think that's probably what I'd pick up for a tournament right now. Moving on over to segment two, Top Paper Movers. Relatively quiet week. We've got Karn's Bastion out of War of the Spark, just regular copies moving up a bit, but 33% from 3.75 to $5. We've got Teamer Ascendancy Foils out of Cons of Tarkir going from 650 to 9 That's marching up on the back of Miriam, uh, making this an absolute staple in her commander builds. We've got Decanter of Endless Water, one of the foil commons out of Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate, going from 5 to $7. That's been slowly moving up the ramp um, basically since release. It's already in 12,000 EDH rec decks, which makes it the fourth most played card out of Commander Legends and explains why people are snapping off their foil copies while they can. Yeah, the... Uh keep any number of cards in your hand uh, you know people love it it seems to always do well in all the different forms reliquary tower has always been a very popular edh card as well then we've got extraction specialist foil extended arts out of streets of new capenna 375 to 550 uh, that's on the back of both standard pioneer and modern play uh, which is a similar story to Portable Hole, the promo f foils going from $450 to $7, 55% gains, again, because it's getting played in all three of those formats. Indomitable Creativity has been a pretty interesting deck in both Pioneer and Modern lately, and so the foils have uh, ratcheted up uh, one more plateau here, going from 22 to 34 and this is a card for as long as it dodges a reprint, it's probably going to keep trucking uh, if it's still seeing play in these formats consistently because 
I don't see, outside of, say, Brothers War, where we know we're going to have an artifact theme, if they don't reprint this soon, Secret Layer is probably the most likely occasion. Yeah, I agree. And I, you know, I think we talked a little about this last week, but I don't think this is a card they, they viewed as a top reprint um, card a year or two ago. It really popped up out of nowhere. So if they flag it now, I think we got you know, a year or two or longer before they even put it into the pipeline. What's going on with Witch's Clinic this week? Witch's Clinic. I had to look this one up, honestly. It's, uh, you know, I think it's it's EDH play, right? It's, uh, it's target commander gains lifelink until end turn um, for two, tap, and then it taps also for colorless. Straight value card. I mean, it seems like something that's a reasonable include in, in a lot of decks. Uh, obviously, you have to be able to mine the colorless, and I don't think you're trying to be too competitive with it, but it is in... 17,000 decks on EDH Rec, so a significant number, and it's nice to see Commander 2021 decks um, starting to drain out a little bit because those that supply was pretty high for a while. Yeah, that's true. Uh, similar to Extraction Specialist, we've got Hopeful Initiate out of uh, Crimson Vow going from 550 to 9. That's just regular copies of this previous bulk rare, uh, up 63% on the back of that frequent Pioneer and Standard play. Brave the Elements, we talked about last week how the Magic Player Rewards version was moving up the charts. And again, we see another uh, Ratchet here from 15 to 25. Clearly a Pioneer-driven spec. And then wrapping things up, we've got Minsk and Boo uh, out of Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate. Regular copies, borderless copies, both going between up between 75 and 120%, uh, with the borderless going 8 to 14, the regulars going 4 to 9. I noticed foils were up 200% plus. This looks targeted to me, because this thing is only in 1,000 decks so far in EDH Rec, and there's nothing, no trigger point that I'm aware of that would make this take off. So it... Uh, the last three weeks, it has been included in a few legacy decks. Uh, so there's uh, one, I'm just looking at one at uh, in a Chicago Nerd Rage Games tournament, six and two, uh, included two copies. Um, and there's others that include one or so. Not sure if that's driving it. Obviously, there's very limited amount of legacy paper play these days. But uh, that is something that I know I've been waiting for on Magic Online because it's going to presumably be very low supply. Uh, and online legacy matters a ton, and so I could see that becoming a forty, fifty, hundred dollar card on Magic Online when it's released, uh, depending on the availability. This does sound like that connects the dots because there's this Celestia Reclaimer deck in in Legacy that runs one copy in the main and one copy in the sideboard. But given that this is a mythic that's in abundant supply and that just came out from a set that didn't do particularly well. Um, in theory, it could be drained a little faster than something that would come out of, say, Modern Horizons 2. But at the same time, as you said, I don't think that Legacy Play is really driving a lot of sales in paper. And given how quickly all versions of it started to dry up just this week without any of us noticing anything previous, makes it make it seem like somebody saw this Legacy deck do well and decided to take a big swipe at it. Yeah, that sounds that sounds right to me. More speculation off of results than actual demand. I think so. Moving on over to Top Magic Online Movers of the Week. 
grief out of Modern Horizons 2 going 17.18 ticks to 21.17. That's a 23% gain on the back of being played in Modern and Rakdos Midrange, Living End, Reanimator, and Dredge builds. We've got Seasoned Pyromancer out of Modern Horizons 1 and also now out of Double Masters 2022 going 9.33 tickets to 12.2. That's 31% gains on the back of Rakdos Midrange in Modern, making use of the card for the most part. Spellseeker out of Battle Bond uh, copies on Magic Online going 7.15 ticks to 19 ticks. That's 165% gains on the back of EDH and Legacy Play. And then the big winner of the week is Teferi Who Slows the Sunset out of Midnight Hunt, a largely overlooked Planeswalker that was just one ticket at the start of the week and it has finished at 14 for 1300% gains on the back of being the centerpiece of a new Pioneer combo deck. You want to break this deck down for us a little bit? So it's really throwing it into the mono green build um, and changing it up a little bit. But that that's kind of the, the main basic is that you take the mono green build, uh, add to fairy, and then be able to uh, untap your lands that count for um, two, especially once you drop on the enchantments. Uh, and, you know, it, that deck, it, it can combo off already. Um, it just takes a little bit more time. This really accelerates it, and it gives it a little bit more um, reach because it gives you some more card draw and things like that. And so I haven't actually seen it unfold yet. I've been mo actually moving this week, uh, so I haven't gotten to watch the deck. It, it you know, it's one of those things where it was posted on Twitter as a 5-0 list, uh, and I think others tried it and really had a lot of success. And so it went from, like you said, one ticket overnight to all the... Um, all the bots on Magic Online, you know, buying up all the copies. Uh, it was sold out for, for several hours, and I know the rental chains are currently sold out. I just got reports of people not being able to get copies, so this might actually be just the start uh, if it actually has legs. It hasn't proven itself yet in a tournament. Uh, these are just 5-0 leagues, and as you know, um, you know, many things 5-0 without actually being competitive. So we'll see this weekend if, it, if it's the real deal, but people are hyped about it. Looks like one of the things you can do is use the Chain Veil, where you plus one to untap an artifact. So you untap the Chain Veil and untap your land that makes multiple mana, and then you tap the Chain Veil again. Yeah, I think that's right. And um, versions I've played in the past haven't run Chain Veil, but you know others have. You know, these decks get customized a little bit. Let me pull up the winning list here. But I know the old version could combo off as well. Um, it just was, it took longer uh, to, to really set it up. Yeah, it looks like there was one chain veil in the sideboard of this. Uh, Which you can fourth, grab from Karn, of course. Yeah, of this fourth place list we were, we were just talking about. And yeah, the Chain Veil reads, At the beginning of your end step, if you didn't activate a loyalty ability of a Planeswalker this turn, you lose two life. And then four tap for each Planeswalker you control, you may activate one of its loyalty abilities once this turn, as though none of its loyalty abilities have been activated. So that seems like it's infinite with Teferi if you've got, if the land you're untapping can make four mana, right? Yeah, that sounds right. So it's one to watch for sure. Um, you know, sometimes these decks that have a lot of potential, once once they're known, you can sideboard against them very effectively and and really stomp them out of the metagame. So look this weekend, and we might be talking about this deck more next week for sure. All right, we're buzzing through here pretty quick. So we're going to take swing on over to cards to watch, cards we think may have a chance of showing some solid gains over the next year or so. 
Uh, I'm going to look at a recent secret layer release. People have got their hands on Street Fighter cards not so long ago. And inventory is already selling pretty quickly. Prices have been dropping, and it looks like, for instance, the Foil Lightning Bolts slash Hadoken, which is for people that aren't Street Fighter uh, savvy, is basically the fireball that the main character Ryu shoots and that is utterly iconic in the gaming world. Foils of this version of Lightning Bolts started around 35 and have since dropped down into the $15 to $17 range. There are 31 listings at present. We've got a wall of 16 copies, another wall of 15, another wall of 60. So there are some walls here to work through, but the ramp looks relatively steep. And I would imagine that somewhere in the next month to three months, you're going to see enough steady drain to justify snapping off some copies. If I filter the sales over on TCG Player and see how things are going with the foils, you're moving, you know, just just today, somebody bought four copies, another person bought four copies, another person bought three copies, another person bought four copies. That's pretty steady purchasing and suggests that people are buying play sets for competitive use. Lightning Bolt, not really an EDH card, so you are largely bank banking on modern play for the most part. Uh, and perhaps a smattering of cube demand and so forth. But, and certainly Lightning Bolt is not the super staple of modern that it once was. I mean, we don't really see Jund all that often in the top eights anymore. And we do see Burn occasionally, where, where you certainly see Bolt used. And Burn players are kind of immortal in the modern scene. Once a Burn player settles into Burn and decides not to switch... They just look for cute ways to upgrade their deck over time. This seems to qualify to me, even though we've had so many versions of Lightning Bolt over the years, a Street Fighter version has special appeal, and it cannot be easily restocked once these walls start to get chipped away from. So I'm looking at this on a 12-month horizon or so, looking for these to go 15 to 25. Yeah, yeah. my hope is, for all these versions of Lightning Bolt, is that it gets printed into Pioneer at some point soon. Um, and I think Honestly, it's that's really possible. Um, can't rely on it for the speculation purpose, but if you look at the modern metagame, you know, I think as you've talked on the cast a little bit about, Lightning Bolt's fallen out of favor uh, to Unholy Heat in many decks. And so I think Wizards is going to look at that data in the next you know year or so and say, Lightning Bolt needs to be played. And the, the next obvious place to have it be played is in Pioneer. Uh, they already have Strangle, which does uh, three damage to creatures. And so it would give a little bit more reach to the to the aggressive decks, uh, but it wouldn't do a ton more uh, against creature decks. Yeah, and Holy Heat is the 10th most uh, played card in the format, but according to Magic Online, sorry, MTG Goldfish, MTGO results, uh, Lightning Bolt is still the number one played card in Modern. Interesting. I wouldn't expect that. Let's see. Yeah, 40, 41% of decks and three, roughly three copies played, so that's... That's plenty of demand. And a lot of that is coming from some, a deck I overlooked playing it, which is Murktide Regent. Uh, yeah. Running three copies against the four on Holy Heat. Um, and other builds you might see running it are four-color Omnath, some incarnations, Rakdos Midrange, Death Shadow, uh, Is It Delver variants. Um, so... I. I'm going to have to roll it back, I think. I, I, I said the Lightning Bolt wasn't where it once was. You thought the same thing. But if you look at yeah. the stats, it doesn't really hold true. So it makes me feel better about the tokens, yeah? 
Yeah, that's and, and it's iconic, right? No, you you can reprint Lightning Bolt a hundred times in a hundred different forms. None of them are going to be Street Fighter, um, and so I think that gives it a uniqueness. No matter how many times they're doing premium treatments of this, that will hold. Unlike if you if you compare it, I mean, I think the contrast is they did that beautiful full art. Uh, lightning bolt at events i can't remember it was a gp promo or something like that and it started at 20 then went to 15 went to 10 can't remember what it's at now but that one i know it kind of faded uh, because it's just at, at the end of the day it's another lightning bolt but here you know, i think you're getting people that um care about it for other reasons than you know just the iconicness of the card itself all right tell me about your first selection this week all right, so I have one that is expensive and one that's cheap. We'll start with the expensive, uh, which is Jeweled Lotus. Uh, this is something that, uh, you know, I don't like to spec on any card above roughly $50, unless it's, you know, absolutely iconic, is essential, is unique, and usually it's things like, you know, Mana Crypt and other things like that. I think Jeweled Lotus, Jeweled Lotus is positioned at this point uh, to become the next Mana Crypt to an extent. Uh, when, I, you know, I last bought Mana Crypts, they were uh, just under 100 bucks, uh, 120 or so, and they went up to 200 now, close to that, uh, since it's reprint. Uh, and I think this is on the same trajectory. Uh, Jeweled Lotus has had very consistent demand uh, throughout uh, its printing since uh, and it's been you know a few years now since commander legends which is hard to believe uh, and you know now they knew it was going to be a good card and so they knew it would have to be reprinted as a flagship reprint uh, in a future product and with this price point combined with that that need for a flagship reprint i think we're a ways away it can't be a secret layer it has to be a mythic and in a key reprint set uh, and so this has, in my opinion, probably 18 months, two years minimum of growth room uh, that will really put it over the top. So right now, copies are about $83, roughly. Uh, I think it can hit $150 uh, because this is a competitive EDH card. It is absolutely unique in what it does. And so people that need it will pay for it. Uh, and if you look at the number of vendors on TCG, it's down to a pretty reasonable level, uh, and the sales are really through the roof. Last month, we've seen about 250 sales of this, uh, just the basic version. And so between that, the limited number of vendors, slow drain of you know 200 or so a month, combined with the fact that no one's mass cracking Commander Legends original anymore, and those box prices are pushing 120 now. They'll continue to push upwards the next year or two. I think this is on track to be, you know, a very uh, high-end staple going forward. A few more stats on this one. We got 72 listings left on TCG Player for regular copies. Um, I can certainly attest that anytime I have listed foil extended art foreign versions of this card, they've sold pretty quickly. Uh, extended arts as well. I've sold foil versions in English, German, and Japanese pretty easily. And, you know, for the reasons that you listed, this is the kind of card where if you own 15 commander decks, maybe three to four of them need this card. It's it's not uh, thematically niche. It is uh, its use is determined more by the number of colors in your commander for the most part and how quickly you need to get the, that commander on the table for that deck to get rolling. And I think you're very right in your analysis, considering which set it could possibly be in. Commander Legends for Battle for Baldur's Gate was a risk. It didn't show up there. Um, Double Masters 2022 was a risk. It didn't show up there. There's nothing on the agenda for the rest of the year where it seems to make sense. I could see if they did brought back inventions for the Brothers War, you could see a fancy version of it show up there. But that's not 
going to injure the price of the regular version um, because those will be very pricey right out of the gate given that the foil extended art version is multi-hundreds of dollars. Um, There's nothing that we know about for next year yet where this could be included either. But today is August 17th. Tomorrow is August 18th. We are getting the big Wizards reveal stream tomorrow that's going to lay out the the product line for the next year. And so this is the, the kind of thing where by the time people have heard us discussing this card, they'll have a pretty good sense of whether it looks safe to go after. Because if they announce something as a banner set for next early next summer, where it does not look like Jeweled Lotus could show up, then you're probably in pretty good shape. Yeah, and I did look at Card Kingdom to see if there was buy list backing here, uh, and it does look like it's pretty strong. So the buy list right now is uh, $70 cash, 90, uh, 91 credit, and they're asking for up to 40 copies. And so I was kind of thinking, okay, 40 copies, how much is that uh, relative to other staples? Uh, and that was about double what Mana Crypt had for a, a demand uh, with CK, and obviously a higher price points they're probably limiting risk but it seems strong to me a little bit of price history on the card the lowest it ever got was late december of 2020 the month after it came out got down into the low 60s got back up to about 86 in april of 2021 slid down to about 69 during modern horizons 2 hype last summer got back up to 90 by this January and then slowly drifted down as the hype cycle has moved on, but only by a, you know, four or five dollars. So as you said, there's no further supply coming into the market. It's not the kind of thing they're likely to print into a secret layer. It's not going to be in a commander deck. It's not going to be in most ancillary products. It could show up in the list. That's uh, true. That would be a good inc- hit. Inclusion, but it would really depend on the drop rate. Um, and it, it, I also feel like burning this on that slot is probably incorrect in terms of being able to market some future set. So uh, I like this one. I I think that you and I are both agreed that at this price point, your return on investment is probably limited to something reasonable. You've got here 83 to 150. I think that's a little ambitious. I would probably feel more comfortable with, say, low 80s to 120 or something over the next 6 to 12 months. But uh, we'll check back in on this in a year and we'll see how we're doing. Moving on over to a card we've already talked about today. One of my selections for this week is Teferi Who Slows the Sunset, uh, Foil Borderless, because Foil Borderless versions of this card are only at $8. And if we look at what just happened with Minsk and Boo for for arguably far less good reason, uh, Teferi Who Slows the Sunset may or or may not be the continuing hotness in Pioneer, but it's already in 9,000 decks on EDH Rec. It's just a strong Planeswalker in Commander. I can run it in my Atraxa deck. People will run it in a variety of uh, Super Friends decks. And there's a whole bunch of other strategies that can find use for it if untapping things is part of their combo strategy. And so I think Teferi Slows the Sunset Foil Borderless is probably going to drift up from, say, 8 to 18 over the next year or so. Kind of whether or not Pioneer play continues. But if it does, it's probably going to accelerate. And if you snapped off, you know, a playset now, your worst case scenario is you get to play with them in Pioneer and or your EDH decks, and your best case is that you could double up and get out. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, the the risk on this risk profile is very low. This it looks like this had prior to it seeing additional play, it already started to even out uh, both in the foil and the non-foil versions, and started to tick upward uh, prior to this because you know this news is only in the last couple days, and so I think you know that's icing on the cake. I think it would do just fine regardless of the competitive aspects, but if it becomes a big hit and becomes a staple, all the better. Now, there, it is worth pointing out that there is a Innistrad double feature version of this card. I think it's uh, easily uglier. This is the silver screen version, and for multicolor cards, that means it has a yellow border, border uh, that I don't find particular, particularly appealing. Also worth noting that these go for $55 plus, and there's just 15 listings left. It's possible that there is a play to be made there as well for smaller percentage gains but higher raw gains, just on scarcity alone. Um, and... But I'm happy to go for the borderless and look for the double up. So on the uh, double featured, I've only bought uh, white and black cards from the set. How do the others look? Do they look okay? I'm not a huge fan of the green ones or the blue ones. I also like the black having purple borders. Looks fine to me. The, The white ones I think look best. And... The lands are pretty solid, and also the lands from that set are some of the ones most likely to be played in EDH, so I've got more of those in Silver Screen than anything else. Interesting. Yeah, I, I don't I don't really view it as competition, honestly. it's Some of those cards, like Meat Hook Massacre, I view it as, as competition for a premium slot, but not for, not for this card. All right, want to tell me about uh, your second selection this week? Yeah, so one was, like I said, very expensive. The other one is very cheap. So Shadow of Mortality, which is the 15 uh, mana value, uh, essentially Death Shadow, uh, not, not quite, but it's seen play as a four of in Calibrated Blast decks. And so, you know, at 15 mana, in general, I would say it has potential regardless, but since it's seeing four of competitive play, even if it is on a somewhat fringe deck um a fringe deck that can top top uh beat a tournament uh you know i think there's potential there and so looking at the borderless foil editions i was surprised to see it was down to like a buck buck and a quarter uh for the lowest you know singleton copies buck and a half for those with with multiple copies uh and to me that that just seems like a very cheap throw twenty dollar at it type of spec put it in a box and look back and you know a year or two and see where it's at Uh, if you look at all the other um, cheap, uh, very expensive creatures in the calibrated blast decks. Some of them are terrible and aren't played really anywhere, but they're all pretty expensive. And why? Because they're extremely big uh, creatures, and you know it's very uh, infrequent that Watsi prints things that are above 12 mana value. And so, just the uniqueness of the card, the fact that it's being uh, being played in a competitive deck, I think this is a low risk. Uh, card that you know could pay reason reasonable dividends up to i put a target sell price of about seven dollars uh you know maybe sell it for 10 net seven after after all fees and shipping uh sounds about right which you know for the low risk seems like a decent reward this follows a strategy that you and i have employed many times both in paper and on magic online which is getting a basket of very cheap things, most of which are going to fail, but when one of them goes five times, ten times, twenty times, it covers the whole basket and then some. Um, and this is that kind of spec to me. It's like you said, you put throw, you only throw $20 or so into it, you put the, tuck those away, 
And when you're doing your monthly or quarterly audits in terms of what you might put up for sale, you just keep an eye on it. And if this debt keeps doing well, eventually these potentially drain out. The one thing I've got a concern with here is that it's a rare and not a mythic. If this was a foil mythic, it would be a lot easier for it to drain. Um, given that it was just printed, we've got 88 listings, which isn't tremendously deep, and there are no major walls um, of the card. I would guess that in many cases, people have just not even bothered to put it up, given how cheap it is. Uh, but that does also suggest to me that there is some latent inventory that could come into the market and undercut any major spike. So I would want to be in the kind of pattern where I'm tracking prices often enough that if this was to hit $10 one day, based on a you know big tournament result or something, that I can sell into that hype before the supply uh, undercuts the price and knocks it back down. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, it's a good practice, in my opinion, to at least have um, one copy of anything you own listed so that you can get that indicator, right? Or even, better yet, for play, a playset, because playsets often sell uh, at a higher price point than singles uh, because it, some people are lazy and just want to get it all from one provider. So if you have 20, you throw up four. If it sells, then you get that flag and you can post more copies as appropriate. Uh, I will say on the price and it being a rare, I looked at Scion of Draco, which has a very similar profile, not much EDH play. It's seen a you know, smattering of competitive, including in this calibrated blast deck. And that was for the, for a similar you know premium treatment. I think it was 9 or $10. And so the low price point is baked in. You know, I think if this was a mythic, it would be uh, quite a bit more expensive for what it's seen currently. Gotcha. All right, so moving on to my final cards to watch. Uh, about six months ago or so, I talked on cast about foil borderless grief as grief was making a comeback in modern. I think it's worth taking another look at that card given how much we're seeing it uh, in multiple decks in modern. Again, if we look back at the Magic Online Movers of the Week, it was up 23%. In regular copies, on the back of being played in Rakdos Midrange, Living End, Reanimator, Dredge, and others. And this is a card where people thought that Ephemerate uh, Grief was going to be the most broken thing you could do with an incarnation coming out of Modern Horizons 2. Turns out almost all of those cards are busted, and Grief was sitting on the bench for better part of six months, but has since uh, found its homes. And we're currently looking at... Uh, regular copies of grief at about $18 or so and I think that these are very likely to slide up towards 35 given 12 plus months. Uh, it doesn't seem like the kind of card that Watsy can easily reprint for a while um, and with all the different decks that are running it and us being down to 43 listings with no major walls I could easily see grief ending up doing better than people are expecting. Yeah, great. Uh, sorry, great. sorry, not regular copies. Board regular, yeah. uh, borderless. Borderless yeah, non-foil, is... to be specific. <laughs> you know, the the regular copies are actually pretty close to this, um, around fourteen, fifteen dollars. It looks like, and so getting getting the borderless insulates you a little bit from reprints for a very minimal value. So I think that's a plus. And in general, on all of these, you can't think that they're going to be reprinted the next year or so um if if they do that's outside of your control but you can't plan on that anything that is produced you know you have to give it two years if it's a mythic a mythic and a staple uh set you know if you don't get two years out of it you're just getting unlucky in my opinion and so uh i don't have a reprint risk here and it's seen play all the elementals are and even if this was 
um, you know, recently one of the, the lower ends, that's the lower end of a very high list um, with these elementals dominating modern. And so I think what, which one's going to be on top on any given day is going to fluctuate. You know, all, it, all it's going to take is one new card uh, to make this the number one going forward. And so all of these, I think they have huge potential, uh, very low risk, relatively speaking. And so going from 18 to 35 seems very reasonable to me. The other thing I'll say about the elemental incarnations is they're a a strong example of a situation where the premium art and treatment is miles better than the regular. Like all, all the art on all five of the incarnations is amazing and borderless. And so a non-foil version of being only a few dollars separated from the regular uh, strongly suggests to me that a lot of players will prefer these and that they will be pursued uh, in play sets as such. We're also uh, getting in relatively easy early here on an upward trend. The card had bottomed out in early June around $12 for borderless non-foil and is now closer to 17 to 18 So we're already headed up the scale here. And if I look at the, uh, the listings that are left on TCG Player, we only have to sell another 20 or 30 copies um, before we're up into the low 20s, mid 20s. And from there, I don't think it's going to be too tough to get up over 30 as the supply starts to uh, drop below 20 listings, people are going to start to realize that the clock is ticking and they're going to go ahead and bite off their playsets. Yeah, and looking at Magic Online, this is one that has gone up to a record high of 21 tickets, which isn't um, crazy considering the other price, the Elementals, but it's really on an upward trajectory over the last couple months uh, since mid-June, or mid-June, late, early July. Um, and so, you know, we've seen that if you want to know what's going on in the competency, Magic Online is really the place to be uh, right now. And so seeing it include, include, uh, grow over time there, I think is a good sign for the paper version. And considering the flexibility of this card, you know, I don't think you have to worry about, you know, I look at, um, you know, the other Death Shadow, the two mana Death Shadow, I can't even remember the name of it now, that, you know, did really well, was $15, and then, you know, the meta pivoted, it got dropped from the deck, and now it's a couple bucks. That's not going to happen here, both because it's uh, a Modern Horizons 2 card, which makes it more uh, relatively rare and expensive, but also because it's so flexible. If it's not this deck, it's going to be another one. Alrighty, so... Moving on over to our topics of the week, uh, one of the key sources of forthcoming product information uh, over the last couple of years has been Amazon, of all places, because they seem to put up product uh, listings and start pre-selling product long before Wizards has even announced any information about said products. And the one that we all flagged in the Discord this week, the ProTrader Discord, was that there is a set coming out next spring called Dominaria Remastered that has booster boxes and collector booster boxes. And this one looks pretty interesting and drove a lot of chatter. One of the, one of the products that Wizards put out in the last couple of years was Time Spiral Remastered. Um, they did not put out any premium product version alongside it. There was no collector boosters for that set. And it was notable because it had all of the, the cards from previous Time Spiral blocks, as well as uh, old borders and old border foils of a smattering of other cards. And you got one of uh, the foil the foil old borders every 27 packs or so. Some of those have done very well and are worth quite a lot of money. Then, like fast forward a year and they put out double... Uh, Innistrad double feature 
which ends up being the exact same cards they put out in Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow less than six months later, uh, in the case of Crimson Vow less than three months later, and the only uh, upside was that there was a silver foil treatment in these boxes. And the boxes started out real high. They were about 230 to $240 market price. So they were, they were sold as a premium product and quickly bottomed out down to about 165 or so by mid-January and are currently strangled sitting around at that price point with 46 listings. The gaming company, uh, infamous uh, mega vendor on TCG Player, has 173 boxes in stock and they don't seem to be selling very quickly. So this is the triangulation reference points for this Dominaria remastered set that people are speculating about. Here's my best guess on what this actually is. I suspect that it is a mixture of cards from the Dominaria United set this fall and all prior Dominaria sets going all the way back to Alpha Beta Unlimited Revised. So... What some more recent players might not realize is that there are two other blocks that take place on Dominaria of note. There's the Odyssey block, right? Yeah, it, there's... Yeah, it's a lot. Let's see. I, I think I pulled together... Where did I find Millis? Yeah, it's a lot of blocks that are <laughs> on Dominaria. Mm, I don't think it's all that many, though, is it? The obviously the originals, and then we've got Weatherlight. No, not really. I mean, sort of. They they start on Dominaria, but then they leave using the Weatherlight, and they go off to Wrath, right? Right. The dark Ice, uh, Ice Age in the dark. Mm-hmm. Wait, the Phyrexian sets are on Dominaria, right? So, Invasion, Plane Shift, Apocalypse. Yes, that's the other block I was thinking of. The Invasion block. Because that's where there's actually a Phyrexian invasion that they fight off. And then there's Dominaria from five years ago. Right. Yeah, I'd have to look at the list, but yeah, a, a good number to select from anyway. That's all before my time. So... <laughs> Evan Irwin at our, our sponsor, Cool Stuff, uh, put up a list of cards that would come from Odyssey, uh, Tempest, Invasion, Exodus, a bunch of blocks that may or may not be considered to be related to Dominaria, depending on which parts of the story you're keying into. And some of the most expensive cards he came up with as potential inclusions were Crystal Quarry, Price of Glory, Overmaster, Sapperling Symbiosis, Insidious Dreams, Meltdown, Reconnaissance, Chainer Dementia Master, Sentinel Herothons, Collective Restraint, Hunting Grounds, Seed Time, Test of Endurance, Whim of Volrath, Tarnished Citadel, Repercussion, Deserted Temple, and Contamination. And these are all cards that are currently marketing between $10 and $40. The thing is, I look over that list, and the vast majority of what I see there is expensive because of low-supply ancient print run, and not because they are going to be in immediate demand. So, for instance, like... You your the only card on there is Meltdown that, you know, really I think I've ever thought about in a way about a demand profile, honestly. Sure, and that's currently 13. 
I mean, we've got Tarnish, Tarnish Citadel is obviously a pretty big draw for the people that are into CEDH because yep. that's uh, uh, kind of an auto-include land there when moving fast and having the right mana on the right turns is more important than your life total. Helm of Procession is one that, you know, it sees this matter into play. Sure. But I mean, this this does not look like an exciting reprint set to me at first glance. I mean, you also do have things from Dominaria. You would be, you presumably have a Mox Amber reprint, potentially the first premium Mox Amber. Yeah, I, I, I will think it about this. I, you know, I would, since they're doing, it sounds like they're doing the print run for uh, D for Dominaria United is one of the largest print runs ever is what i've been hearing is that correct uh it's certainly a large print run and i suspect that it'll be something close to what we saw with the zendikar rising where because of the because of the expeditions they knew that the set would sell very well and presumed and reportedly there was 10 or 15 percent more product printed than they would normally print right so thinking about that combined with the uh blog post by rosewater saying that double uh feature was really a mistake um, yeah, I think thinking about those two combined, my guess would be that no Dominaria United card falls within the set, except maybe a select few that they think that they're going to need some price pressure on. But um, I would think it's focused on older cards specifically. That's possible. I mean, I, I would argue that the, the Dominaria, the, the most recent set that it could be drawing from, might have most of the most interesting cards. Because Mox Amber is at 45 bucks right now. Teferi Hero of Dominaria, if they don't reprint it in Dominaria United, which I'm dubious of. It doesn't seem like a card you want to reprint in standard. I think Dominaria, original Dominaria, well, you know, new original Dominaria, I think is 100% fair game. I'm just saying Dominaria United, I, I think is probably off limits. But, you know, who knows? That's logical thinking rather than... What Wizards does sometimes, which well, it really depends when they made the, when they made the committed to the decision. Because if the set was in the, on the books nine months ago or something before they knew what the reception of the double feature was like, then it may well be a repeat of of or some. They they wouldn't yet have known that they had made a misstep, and could well have included cards from Dominaria United, right? And the Brothers War, I guess, because that's also on the same plane. True. Uh, so Dominaria, just to finish up the list of best cards that could come out of that, Mox Amber, Teferi Hero of Dominaria, Helm of the Host is at 15 bucks, Lyra Dawnbreaker is at 15 bucks, Karn Scion of Urza is a $10 card, all of the lands from that set are 5 or $6, and then it falls off pretty quickly from there. Um, but there's still a decent chunk of mythics there between Mox Amber, Teferi, Lyra, and Karn that can contribute um, the it's clear that they're going for the premium price point because the Amazon uh, print run, print uh, or the sale listing on Amazon is at two sixty seven forty eight for the collector booster boxes and for the draft booster boxes they're at one seventy five fifty six which is actually below the two twenty to two forty or so we saw for Time Spiral Remastered. So it looks like they are in the presence of the collector booster boxes. They know that they have to push the regular box back down the price curve and they're letting the collector booster box occupy that slot instead. 
So I I was confused when I saw there was collector boosters for a remastered set. Um, Time Spiral did very well. Time Spiral remastered. Uh, you know, you would think they they hadn't even gotten the feedback yet on that model, and yet they went forward with this new remastered set uh, and also added CBs to the mix. It just seems ambitious to Greedy. say the least. I'm, <laughs> it's another word for that. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, you know, I, I, I just, it, okay, so if you have CBs for Dominary United, CBs for Brothers War, if you want to capitalize on any of those in this new set, how do you make them good enough or different enough in CBs to drive sales? It's It seems tough. And so it has to rely on the old product, which I think you said, as you said, it's a fairly limited list of really high dollar, high um, demand things. And so I, I think as we kind of generate lists and we hear more from other people, it's going to become obvious what is probably inevitable like mox amber and um hero dominaria and you know other things like that yeah the so we'll uh learn more about that potentially tomorrow i mean by the time people hear this they may already know more than we do uh, because it could should be part of the product mix that is revealed uh, on stream on the 18th so moving right along, uh, there was an additional detail that was spotted for Dominaria United, which of course is most infamous and pre-selling very high because they're including Legends cards in it. And now we know that they're also including textured foils on a one-per-pack basis in the Dominaria United collector boosters. So on top of having the potential to pull a Legends card, you can also pull an extra fancy uh, card not dissimilarly we're assuming to double masters 2022 where they took things like liliana and the eldrazi and gave them a very attractive spiral textured foil look that has been very popular in the market yeah i hate it <laughs> absolutely hate it. it's it's old border foils once again where you had something that was a huge hit everyone i think generally had a good reaction to and you took something that was special and you instantly made it less special. Uh, and they could do it well. They could still be okay. But, you know, if you did texture foils once every five years, I think people could look forward to it. It'd be exciting. It'd be something that uh, is highly collectible. And now you're just taking it and making it normal. And and, I, and, and you're referring to the fact that Time Spiral Remastered had old water foils at, at one in every 27 packs. And then we got to Modern Horizons 2 a few months later, and they were pretty much everything had an old border foil treatment, and it was much easier to pull something in OBF. Exactly. And, and perceived value matters. Uh, you know, The old border foils from Time Spire were mastered. Uh, if you've been watching them, they started out high, and I know you talked about them a lot on cast. They started out high, then they dip pretty low, and some of them keep falling because there's no demand profile. But many of them, uh, was just I just wrote about Silence the other day. It, it hit a hit. Um, down to I think thirty dollars. Now they're selling back to sixty in the United States. Um, so many of them are bouncing back and doing very well. But that is going to be you know think of what it would have been otherwise. Think if every time Spiral remastered had old border foils or t every time remastered set had old border foils. You could look forward to it once every year, every other year. It would be a thing. They could be easy. You could plan on it. You could capitalize on it. And they just, they you know, made it in all these packs in Modern Horizons 2, which made the perceived value go down. And they're going to do the exact same thing here with etched foils. And it's it's unfortunate because they did look, they looked great. And I, hopefully they'll look great again. But that perceived value matters in collectability. 
I think if yeah, I mean I think people were disappointed that things like Scalding Tarn and Misty Rainforest OBFs didn't take off like rocket ships um, coming out of Modern Horizons Two, which is now a solid year behind us. But I was talking in the Discord today about how Travis called the bottom on Misty Rainforest OBF last September, uh, almost a year ago, three months out from the release, at about forty-five, and said it was time to get in. And looking at it today, I noticed that we're down to a modest forty or fifty listings. The prices crept back up into the mid-high fifties, and I mean they probably are going to be double ups given enough time. But when I when they were first revealed and Travis and I were debating what they would be worth and I was talking multi-hundreds of dollars and saying how these could be the next masterpiece soul rings in the right circumstances, well, those circumstances didn't produce. I mean, they needed to be much more, have a much higher, sorry, lower drop rate in those packs. If they had made them five times or ten times more rare, they obviously would have been rocket ships. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what they're doing with the textured foils here, whether it's the same treatment we saw in Double Masters 2022, or it's going to be something else. I'm curious, uh, whether it applies to all the cards in the set, because when you're putting something one per pack, you are either making, if it's a small pool of cards, you're making them exceedingly common. And if it's a large pool of cards, it means that you get a fancy treatment on bad cards, which I think is a mistake. I think that making foil extended arts and foil borderless of all the cards in a set like all the rares and all the mythics is probably something i would have done differently if i was looking to draw a, a, a moat around them so that people knew that special treatments are special and they're for special cards yeah and i think you mentioned whether or not the the treatment is the same i think it's worse if it's not the same uh, if you look at etched the fact that it's changed so many different times from the beautiful commander engines to less beautiful, let's say, uh, you know, the, the more unpredictability in print quality or in just how it's executed, I think the the less desirable things become because people want to know what they're getting. They want to be confident in what they're getting. And so I think it would be actually be worse if they change textured foils and make it a slightly different uh, this go around. Well, I mean, they've given us so many different treatments in the last few years that I don't expect that to change anytime soon. They're, they're going to continue to experiment and see, try to triangulate against sales patterns that only they have access to, to get a, a sense of what sells best, and they'll pursue that to death, I would imagine. The, you know, textured foils, I think the best ones we've gotten so far were the ones in Streets of New Capenna. Uh, there are, uh, sorry, uh, etched foils, um, which are technically different than textured, but depending on the implementation here, could be pretty close. Um, I, I expect the result for DMU to be somewhere between what we saw on etched foils from ne uh, Neon Dynasty and Streets of New Capenna and the textured borderless foils that we saw on some mythics from 2022. So uh, we'll get more information perhaps on that tomorrow. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're showing that off starting on stream tomorrow. So we'll talk about it more next week once we know more. And then you've got here, to wrap things up, new secret layer packaging. Yeah, so I received my newest secret layer for the uh, Streets of New Compendia Gilded Foil, so it's the Atraxa Drop uh, and others. And I was, I, I know I had heard about them, I had seen photos, but I, I, it was really striking to me how slim the new secret layer packaging is. It is literally a the size of an envelope. And so when I received 20 secret layers, it was the size of basically a collector booster case, maybe 
I don't know, 10 inches long by six by six. And it is striking to me. So in the past, one of the things that we've seen in some of these secret layer drops is that the premium for keeping things sealed uh, was starting to grow over time. If you look at uh, especially some of the collector ones like Stranger Things, uh, there's a big premium for sealed. And I think that's partly because it's hard to store. Uh, so for me, I have very limited amount of space. So when I usually get my secret layers in, I break them. I send them to TCG player, um, store your products. They take care of it from there. They sort them. They put them in my system. And I don't have to touch them again. Now, with it being such a small box for 20 secret layers, I think there's a, a much bigger incentive to keep those sealed, um, which could impact the collectability of sealed product, kind of tamping that down, which we had been seeing, uh, but also limiting the number of um, singles getting on the market right away as people just rush to get them out the door. And so I think it, we could see some some modest changes in the secret layer patterns going forward based on this. Yeah, some of the, the Pro Trader Discord members were talking about how they uh, enable the usage of USPS uh, stock boxes to a greater degree because a certain number of the new secret layer uh, boxes fit within some of the USPS packaging a lot better than they used to. Yeah, this could th this will ship cheaper. I, even the so they've went through three iterations. They went through the big box, which no one liked and was horrible for the environment to the medium-sized box, which was fine, but it still was a hassle. It was still relatively big to this now, which, you know, this you could actually ship potentially as a bubble mailer uh, because it is a hard, I'd have to kind of, a, I'd have to play with that, but it's a hard, you know, cardboard box wrapped around the cards. I bet you you could ship that out with a bubble mailer, maybe with a little bit extra padding, uh, rigid, something rigid on the inside to protect it and get it out the door for, you know, 350 or something like that, which... Yeah, it's pretty efficient. Fair enough. All right, so I guess that's a wrap for this week. Next week, we will pro almost certainly be talking about the 2023 Magic product lineup, so join us for that. Uh, where can people find you online, Derek? Yeah, you can find me online on Twitter at OkoAssassin or on my weekly articles on Mondays on mtgprice.com. We're going to find you, James. You guys can find me on Twitter at MTGCrinic, as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Boy, that uh, singles sale this week that we ran was pretty sweet. Something like 15 to 70% off singles from Double Masters 2022 and blew through 40 grand worth of inventory in about four hours. Yeah, I'm pretty sure my Sensei Divining top price was about one-eighth of what I paid for my EMA copy a couple years ago and about half of TCG market. So pretty hard to go wrong going with those low prices. Lots of hot action in the Discord lately. Well, once again, MTG Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best Magic Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use promo code FINANCE5, that is 5 like the number, during checkout at www.coolstuffinc.com to save 5% on your order and to support this podcast. That brings us to the end of another MTG Fast Finance 
I've enjoyed the conversation with James. James, thanks for having me on, and look forward to continuing to work together on this going forward. Thank you, Derek. That is number three. 37 for me and number one for you congratulations and we will see all of you next week on another episode of mtg fast finance